And here we go. All right. Hello and welcome to our winter event of our Channel 42. We are quite honored. It's uh, Phil, Troy and Tor are joined by Peter and Landon. So we have the, uh, the first four CWISEs here. Are we going to be talking about the CWISE program? Uh, hi, guys. How are you doing? Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. I mean, yeah, so it's a couple of days for Christmas. Are you all ready for Christmas? Done all your shopping and who's bought family members like IoT gifts and things? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very glad to have a wonderful wife because uh, she's taking care of everything for me. Uh, yeah. I did, however, uh, just get my uh, 802.15.4 sniffer ordered. So that's going to be fun. And I'm going to make some uh, auto closing windows with them. So. Nice. So which, which one did you go for? I believe it's the Nordic, Nordic Tech, I think is what it's called. Oh, if you can send me a link to that, please, sir. I'll, um, I'll put that in the video and on the uh, stream at the end. That might be yeah. interesting. NXP makes a good one, too. Which one, sorry? NXP. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Actually, that might you might have just come up with a, another webinar we can do in the new year, London. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, okay, everybody. So let's talk about the CWISC then. So what is it? Who wants to tell us about the CWISC? All right. Well, I, I guess I'll step in. Uh, CWISE is the new certification, uh, the capstone for the IoT track from CWNP. Uh, CWNP, if for those of you who aren't aware, uh, are the people who purvey the CWNE program. Uh, so the CWNA, the administrator certification, uh, and some professional ones on top, culminating in the expert. Uh, so they've developed this IoT track, uh, which I think is, is quite good, and we'll get more into it. But CWISE is the very top. Uh, so it's very exciting. A lot of fun new things coming out of them. Awesome. Thank you very much, sir. So how does one go about getting it? Who wants to talk about that one? Well, similar to the, the previous wireless focus track, the, uh, the IoT track is made up of, of uh, four, four exams uh, that you need to, to complete. So they have the CWISA, which is your entry level, kind of your administrative exam, teaching you kind of the, the core fundamentals of, of IoT technologies. And then moving beyond that, you enter the professional layer and, or professional level. And at the professional level, uh, there's three different tracks, uh, one focusing on connectivity, right? And so this is connectivity of your, your wireless IoT network, right? How different uh, sensors, gateways communicate with each other, the nuances of the, of the, the phi, and the upper layer uh, protocols, how they come together. Uh, and then there's another track, which, uh, which I think is really, really interesting. And I think it goes much further uh, into integrating a cohesive uh, wireless solution than we looked at previously in Wi-Fi. But there's the, the integration uh, track, which focuses on how do you tie multiple IoT systems together uh, using different API calls, webhooks, uh, integration, pulling data out, storing in databases, understanding the backend applications that connect all these different uh, separate IoT systems uh, together. So I, I think that's a, a significant difference from what we've seen before on the Wi-Fi side of things. 
Uh, and then we also have the design uh, exam, which focuses, uh, focuses on teaching, you know, design concepts and best practices related to a, a broad set of IoT type deployments with their uh, different nuances. And once you've completed all those exams, uh, that completes the exam requirements for moving forward with the CWISD application. That's awesome. Thank you. I, I like the way you put that. It's a slightly different approach to the CWNA and the CWSB and DP and AP because one job of the IoT engineer is to interface it, like you said, with big data, with MQTT, with stuff on the back end. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Thank you, sir. Um, Peter and Tor, let's go to Peter first. Peter, this IoT thing, do you reckon it's going to be a hit? Do you reckon, do you reckon it's going to take off this IoT or is it a passing fad? <laughs> is IoT going to be a thing? Um, I think it already is. Um, so, um, and I think it's only going to grow bigger. Um, if you look at any of the predictions of, of how big the IoT market is going to be, it's just going to grow and grow and grow over the next few years. Um, there will be more things connecting to the internet than people. Um, but, and I, I, it's going to outnumber people by quite a great number. That's what all the prediction says. Um, so, so is it going to be big? I think it already is. Um, it's only going to grow. I, I can say from my point of view, even over the last year and a half, the amount of projects I've been involved in, even Wi-Fi related, where IoT has come into it now, where it never used to at all. Uh, it, it's a conversation I've had with nearly all my customers. Um, whether they've got to integrate with some other system, um, they're looking at sort of location, COVID, that's cleaning, checking into desks, systems. Um, they've all got some sort of devices that they're trying to get on and get connected. Um, so it's it's huge, I think. Um, and I think if people want to avoid it. Um, I was having a little conversation the other day with someone actually about when I, they were asking me about when I first got into Wi-Fi. Um, which was 20, about 21 years ago. Um, and I'd been to the US, and I'll cut the story short, but, but working with a company back then called Wild Packets, and um, Wi-Fi was new. They had just released the first ever Wi-Fi 802.11 analyzer. I studied for version one back then of the CWNA course, 2001, um, it had just come out, and that's what made me fall in love with Wi-Fi. But I remember coming back to the UK, and I came back to the UK as if I was like a, a, an excited child with a new toy, this new thing I discovered called Wi-Fi. And I, I talked to everyone and everyone about how Wi-Fi was going to change the world. And do you know what I was told? I was told that it, 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 it's, you know, it'll never replace wide networks. It'll never replace a cable. I was told uh, it's okay for niche applications, you know, things like in warehousing, but it'll never make it into the office. Um, I was told there's no money in Wi-Fi. Yeah. And you look at how many billion dollar the market's worth now. Um, and, and I think all the signs were there back then for Wi-Fi, but people, it wasn't what people knew. So they didn't want to know about it. Yeah. And, and I think, um, it's not, you know, it's sometimes nice to be proven right about the technology, but I, I think there's a similar thing with IoT, is that there's still some people who are ignoring it or saying, well, it's not really, or, well, there might be a few devices, but we'll just put them on a separate network and not worry about them. 
um, and they're just ignoring it. Um, but it, it's happening. <laughs> Whether people like it or not, it's happening. Um, it's going to become bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and we need to start to understand it now because it's, it's going to be massive. And of course, it uses radio frequencies, which means it's going to start impacting our Wi-Fi networks if it hasn't already done that already. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Tor, tell us your perspective. You're sort of um, over in Europe. Uh, yeah. What's happening with, with you with IoT and what, what are your thoughts on IoT? Uh, my thought, I, I, for, for, for the time being, I'm working with one of the big uh, shipping companies uh, in the world. Um, and uh, what I'm seeing is that, as Peter also mentioned, the IUT, we, have, we actually have to take that into account uh, because we have, to, we have all these uh, many types of sensors. We also saw that already in the, for instance, the oil industry. Um, where we had to make sure that the data arrived at the, uh, the different location we needed to do to get them to. And with the IoT, uh, we, we see that this is kind of getting more and more pervasive as we also saw with, uh, with Wi-Fi. So um, my perspective on it is that, as Peter also mentioned, the, the, the people that have to deal with this is, is us, the, because we can relate to radio waves, uh, RF, uh, data communication uh, in this, this way. And uh, I actually think there's a, there's, the market is huge. There's also a huge opportunity to, to kind of get skilled uh, in this uh, specific uh, branch of technology. Um, and um, that's actually where I see that uh, the certification that you four guys have uh, actually comes in and will be relevant. Um, I, for sure, I'm, I'm dealing with IoT on a daily basis. I am uh, uh, kind of employed as a uh, infrastructure, SME infrastructure, uh, Wi-Fi specialist, but uh, I'm dealing a lot with IoT devices, uh, especially on the, on the OT side. Not so much in IT for my part, uh, but I see it uh, it will be more and more uh, also in, in Europe. And at the end of the day, what happens in the US, that actually will happen in the EU also. Hmm. Awesome. Thank you, sir. A couple of things you mentioned that I thought was quite interesting. You mentioned the, the OT. Now, up until now, this has been a different department to IT, right? These are people that, that, that take care of machinery and equipment that they may not really have the RF skills. But then again, there are protocols that exist in their world. Um, another thing you mentioned I thought was very interesting was sensors. So anything that, that senses something and, of course, reacts to it. Let's, let's talk about AC. The temperature in, in your room, let's turn on the AC. It's getting cold. Let's turn on the heating. That is a classic application people think of with IoT. But it's the Internet of Things. What are some of the most interesting things you guys have heard of that are being connected to the internet? And is like a whole new avenue or application that's come in that, that we haven't typically connected to the network before. Anybody got any like really uh, interesting or fantastic things they want to talk about? So one thing, oh, one thing that's really neat is the, um, uh, there's a pervasive LoRaWAN network being deployed globally. 
uh, which is tied into to cryptocurrencies and uh, you know it's driven by helium and stuff like that. So avoiding the whole crypto discussion uh, with this pervasive wireless network that they're trying to to roll out, uh, very quickly whole cities are being covered with a blanket of uh, lower WAN coverage, wow. right? And so there's a company, um, Boston um, Boston Brewing, a coffee company, is uh, tracking their uh, their canisters or containers as they move around uh, their distribution uh, uh, area or geography. Right. And so they can track and see when these canisters are getting close to empty, when they need to be refilled, when they're being replaced, so they can schedule uh, tracking and shipping and manage a more efficient delivery. But that's something that's being enabled uh, by an, an, a pervasive uh, global uh, or near approaching global uh, wide uh, wireless network. So, the, so, the, so that's the gathering of information, right? Something mm -hmm. that was probably very um, human intensive in the past. Somebody had to go and look at or check out or find or so on and so forth but now we can install sensors that can connect via iot and like you said once this iot network becomes everywhere ubiquitous everywhere uh it, it's just simply a situation of we can think of applications that we couldn't do in the past because now we have the infrastructure that supports it that's awesome london did you have something as well i did yeah uh, someone actually just asked me this almost the exact same question uh, a couple of days ago. And the answer I gave them uh, kind of in broad sweeps is I think the metaverse has some really interesting questions to be asked and it is somewhat intrinsically part of IoT. Uh, you know, it's not a sensor, right? Um, and in some ways it's uh, passed along the legacy of consoles, uh, but I was thinking of it more as a, a communication tool, right? Yeah. Uh, because you're, your console is very limited in what it can do. Uh, and it ties into really interesting questions about like identity, right? Because yeah, on a, a standard message board, you can have a screen name, right? But you know that that screen name means nothing. It might tell you a little personality fragment or something. Um, but that combined with stuff like deep fakes, IoT is being enmeshed in our very identities. Yes. You're not going to think quite as much about past the surface level, I think, in the future. Uh, and by that, I mean, yeah, okay, that guy's obviously not a six foot four fox, right? Obviously in VR chat. But what about the voice? What about the yeah. accent? Yeah. What if they do look like a person? There's nothing that says I can't wear, you know, your lovely mug in a VR chat as a deep fake. And, and that's really interesting. In some way, I think we can even skip ahead a bit and say IoT will in a very real, not metaphysical way, carry our identity forward. We will become the IoT, whether we like it or not. Um, you know, Neuralink is one thing that's popped up and that's just a nick away from VR chatting your literal brain. Yeah. Right. Speak, so that, speaks up the interface, right? I think that's something I've talked about with IoT protocols a lot, which is on the same theme, but not Quite what you're saying is just, I think that a lot of IoT technology is invisible to the users. Um, and I, I've often called them like BLE, the invisible protocol, um, in the fact that people don't know, use it, but they don't know they're using it, um, yeah. which isn't the case with something like Wi-Fi, is it? You know, everyone knows the term Wi-Fi. It's a, one of the biggest brands in the entire world. Um, I'll use it um analogy that I said to my son sort of um, I'm going to take your Wi-Fi off you that's a big thing 
who's like, no, no, please don't do that, Dad. Dad, don't, don't, I'll come down and wash the pots, whatever. Don't turn yeah. off my Wi-Fi, yeah. you know. It's a big – if I said, I'm going to take off your BLE away from you, he'd be like, what? Yeah, what, whatever, Dad, you know. Um, because it's um, – but actually, and, and I think that's a lot of these – people don't actually know they're using IoT technology. It's going to be something that everybody uses without actually knowing they're ever using it. And, and I make the, uh, uh, you look at what um, Amazon are doing with like the Echo devices in the homes where they're actually going to talk to other em- a- a- Echoes within the neighborhood and all link up. You won't turn it on, you won't turn it off, you won't even know they're doing it. Yeah. But then you've got a dog tracker and your dog goes down the road and you want to find out where it is and messages are being sent around all the Echoes matched together back to yours. You don't know they're talking to each other, you don't even think about it. Um, it's just doing it. All you know is on your phone, you've got a location of your dog. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's really interesting that it's not, we're very used to being able to choose what technology we turn on and off. You know, on our phone, we can turn off Bluetooth, yeah. we can turn off Wi-Fi. This is technology that's just going to be on by default, a lot of it. And we're not going to get the choice to enable it or disable it. Um, we won't even know we're using it. It's just yeah. an enabler to a service or a function that we want to do. And I think, I think that's interesting. Well, I've thought a lot about this as well. And, and, and from to your point, people will wear a fitness device. And the enablement is wearing the fitness device. Mm. You don't, like you said, you don't turn on an IoT protocol. It just reports data. And if, if it stops reporting data, you turn it off, turn it back on again, and it starts reporting data again. And I think that is a really good point. Whereas you consciously understand the concept of Wi-Fi because it's a, it's a connection to the internet. But like you said, the, the BLE or the Zigbee or the LoRaWAN, it, it's the function, the application that you're using, not the protocol. And I, I, I like that, guys. I, I like where this is going. Yeah, awesome. Okay. All right. Thank you. Let's talk about the perspective of, we covered a bit of this, I suppose, but I just want to cover this as a separate point. So IoT in our part of the world, first four CWICs, the first, actually the first six CWICs, and I hope we get the uh, uh, number five and six on in the new year as well. I'm going to talk to them about that next. Uh, there's um, a Canadian, uh, an American, and two Brits. Now, I live in the US, so I kind of fit in both camps. But there's also, we have a lady and another American. And actually, our lady friend is also British. So a very big British um, component in the uh, CWIC guys, I think. Um, the British are coming, the British are coming, right? Um, how, let's start off with uh, Tor, maybe, in Europe. Tor, are you seeing IoT happen a lot in Europe? No, uh, uh... As, as mentioned earlier, as Peter also said, it, it, we don't see it. Right, um, yes. Um, being a part of the industry, I see it. Uh, as I mentioned, the current gig I have right now, there's a lot of the IoT um, making it possible to track a container, tell a customer where it is. The customer doesn't know there's IoT involved in that. There's just a web page that you can go into and then track your container or your stuff uh, that's put into to the container. Yep. Um, taking temperature measurements, uh, make sure that we the humidity is not too high. There's all sorts of uh, IoT devices that are not 
not exactly taking over for PLCs, but uh, we, we see more and more functionality put into IoT devices. So yes, um, as, as a uh, professional guy in, in Wi-Fi, I see it, but in general, uh, the public don't see it. Mm. Um, so you mentioned oil rigs earlier. Uh, you and I have both worked in the petrochemical industries a lot. And a lot of that was always wired, right? There was always a wire having to run yes, from the sensor. Yeah. Are you seeing a lot of sensors in that in those industries being replaced by IoT and remote wireless sensors? I haven't been in, in contact with the oil industry for, for a while, but uh, but they, we kind of know that they are pretty conservative, uh, not going to risk anything. If it, it has been working for many years, we'll stay with that. Uh, safety first like that um, so so that can be uh, kind of a hindering hindrance yeah. to to yeah. go with uh, with uh, something RF um, especially in explosive environments right yeah. RF, <laughs> RF it's, it's not the RF that's the problem it's the RF causing a induced static buildup yeah. that gets discharged yes yeah. there's, there's some concerns there that's but, true. but that's there will point. be some Functionalities that will be taken over by IoT. I'm pretty sure of that. Hmm. Uh, so I, I actually have. Go ahead, uh, Phil. Go ahead, London. Uh, I well, actually, I can't say the company, uh, but one of the the biggest oil producers and processors here in the U.S. I've done a series of projects for, um, in you know those C1D2 and C1D1 environments, uh, where the, your explosive hazard is is very very high, uh, and they've been doing a lot with ISA. Uh, 100.11a particularly mm -hmm. uh, and then linking other sensors like through uh through yhart adapters <clears throat> so they still have the same uh the same system essentially right just with that wireless bridge now on it uh and they're not using it for primary controls uh which is kind of what you, you guys alluded to under safety right they don't trust it because it is rf it can be interfered with it can be spoofed that kind of thing but for secondary safety sensors and uh, a whole lot of auxiliary process sensors. Uh, like before you might have two or three temperature sensors around a tank. Now they can have 10, they can have 12. Yes. You know, and they're all reporting at different intervals, but it gives you better coverage. And what I'm seeing the most of is them being used for maintenance. Um, yeah. And by that, I mean like in smokestacks or corrosive areas, they're yeah. being used to gauge relative wear. So they can replace say at 10% efficacy instead of waiting until a part fails, which if you have a pump sheathing that goes out, who knows how many hours or even days, even weeks that you can lose a productivity. But if you know it's down to 10% with a depth measurement, say via sonic technology on a, a pipe or a pipe head, you can pull it down for a two hour maintenance session. Boom, you're right back in it. Yep. And that is an easy, easy call for these guys. They're all up on that. That is awesome. And that's back to the to getting information where information is coming to you. The information isn't oh something's failed. The information is be aware something is approaching a tolerance of failure, and and it becomes it becomes where companies can take action to prevent the failure, which ends up in in cost savings. And that, that so that's like a an imaginary thing until it actually happens. Right? You can save millions of dollars if you do this. We'll prove it. But that, that's the concept. And I think that's interesting. And that's what I was just going to ask you, Troy, actually, because I know you do a lot with 
LoRaWAN and um, I say heart and things. Uh, what about Canada? So how are things up in Canada with IoT? Is it taken off? Yeah, there's a tremendous explosion uh, with IoT and it's been happening for, for a while, right? So in the, in the oil and gas industry, uh, the refineries and the, the, the oil and gas industry, the chemical industry has been using this for, for several, several years now. Uh, using IoT technologies, bring back a lot of information uh, back to the control room to make more intelligent decisions. Um, but, but a lot of it, as, as Landon pointed out, uh, a lot of the data that they collect is fed back into a historian. Uh, and then the, the, the level four, the business side of things can do that, um, that analysis offsite and start trending and predicting when failures were happening. So a traditional model is you may have shut things down every, every three months, every six months, or once a year, shut the entire plant down and do preventative maintenance when maybe you didn't need to you know, replace and, and uh, maintain everything, right? So if you could predict when an element fails, uh, maybe instead of shutting things down for two weeks at a time or even a month at a time, that you could complete that turnaround in half the time or 25% of the time, allowing you to get back into production, uh, producing your, your product, right? Now that you can predict when things will fail, you have a better sense of when you need to actually conduct those repairs instead of just scheduling it every, every six months. So there's a lot of, lot of value in that. Uh, there's also a lot of uh, sensors being deployed along pipelines, right, to detect uh, spills and, and leaks, right? There's other sensing technology to allow them to predict some of that, um, but this just gives them more precision to, to close valves, shut off things, and to minimize any potential, you know, damage to the environment or, or you know, um, bad things could happen as related to, to the oil spills. Uh, we're also seeing it in the agricultural sector, right? So we're placing sensors on, uh, on cattle and livestock. Uh, so we can track uh, where where they are, how they're roaming across the field. If we lose, uh, you know, some of our, our livestock, we can go track them down, return them, recover them to safety. Uh, we're also seeing it in terms of uh, grain and agricultural production, right? So when you're growing uh, lentils, uh, canola, uh, you know, corn, all that kind of stuff, uh, we're monitoring the soil conditions, right? So I'm working on a project where we're deploying sensors into the fields where we can monitor uh, rainfall, uh, moisture in the soil itself, awesome. uh, nutrient content, uh, wind, uh, sun, sun. Uh, and then we can measure uh, based on the, you know, the, the harvest that we collected, how productive was that section of the field, right? And get very specific, you know, did we over-fertilize, under-fertilize, yeah. how much moisture impacts everything? So there's tremendous, uh, tremendous value there. And then I've also had discussions more on the, uh, the distribution side of things, right? So the, you know, imagine the large warehouses, uh, there's uh, one company I had discussions with, they figured out a way to collapse the, the, the real estate, uh, the square footage of a warehouse into one third the, the space using robots to pick everything out of shelves. Yeah. Now they need to send instructions and commands to the robots to figure out where they need to pick and pack uh, things. Uh, they also need to avoid robots from colliding with themselves in, yes. in this uh, giant uh, maze. And so that's all being communicated by the robots are communicating with each other uh, using uh, wireless uh, IoT technologies to make that happen. So a lot of lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on. That's awesome. And one point I want to pick up on what you said there. A lot of people think that IoT is like a local area network, right? But if you're an oil company, you may have an IoT sensor every 25 miles on your mm -hmm. pipeline. And also, if your pipeline is going over a mountain range, uh, there's areas up in Canada, up in the Rockies, and things where you can't get up there for three months when winter comes. But you don't mm -hmm. need to get up there if you have an IoT sensor telling you what's going on, right? And so, yeah, that's very interesting. Peter, anything you want to add from the UK perspective? I think the UK perspective isn't much dissimilar to the, you know, the European and the US yeah. perspective. But one thing I would say, um, which I was thinking about as Troy was talking, 
um, is, you know, we're saying IoT is big, it's here. Um, I always think one thing to think about is why is that the case um, today? And, um, you, you know, again, if you just look at the example of Wi-Fi, one of the, there's other technologies that enabled Wi-Fi to grow, like the smartphone coming out when and the, the apps and and web-based services um you know um gave and i think if you look at iot you know there's been sensors around uh, being used all over the place for a long time um but but i think some, some industry things which have sort of been needed to all come together is you know the, the presence of big data and yeah. big data storage being able to process information has been key and along with the fact that when we talk about big data, that's also enabled AI and machine learning algorithms to be effective to actually deliver business intelligence based upon all this data we're collecting. Um, and, and then couple that with some of the smart IoT protocols, which we've got out there, um, allowing to do very low powered, long distance links. Um, so, so sending data, but at... Um, and, and at very needing very little power to do that. And I think you, you bring all of that together and that's a driver for a lot of these IoT systems. And that's why we're seeing a real explosion in it now is because we've got all those pieces together that we can actually offer business intelligence um, into companies and actually deliver real sort of return on investments and um, to, to companies, just as Troy was seeing collapse in a warehouse size down. I've seen um, IoT systems um, be able to improve warehouse operations or help them make better decisions on what forklifts to buy based upon where they're being used and how high they're going. And I realize they don't always need the really big ones. They can actually buy smaller ones. And, and um, so, so I think that whole, that, that there's lots of elements which have come together at the moment to really deliver a benefit um, to organizations. Um, and another thing I think is exciting, which I'm seeing, which I think is going to become important, which IoT protocols have enabled, um, is um, energy harvesting um, equipment. Because, you know, having a protocol which needs very, very little power to send state data, and that's often what yeah. we're sending a temperature, a switch has been set on or off, is it doesn't need a lot of power, and therefore we can get power from the environment around us. And we know that being eco-friendly is incredibly important now um, for, for, for our planet, but also for businesses and governments that they have mandates to become more green and more eco-friendly. Um, and I think that's where you're going to see an explosion of IoT being an, a, a lot of because you know a lot of businesses consume large, large volumes of power at the moment and energy. Um, and if they can reduce that, I think you'll see an IoT. Um, I think that's going to be a big application of IoT. I really do. Um, I, I've got just here like a little um, some a little IoT switch using um, energy harvesting. There's no battery in it. There's no. It will last forever, and it uses the energy of the click of the switch to send the message. Oh, that is awesome. um, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely no power. It's just taking the. Yeah. The power that I'm supplying to the click to send a message to say this has been clicked, it's on, it's been clicked again. Yeah. Um, and I've got a little temperature sensor that does the same thing. It can use the lights you've got on in the room to um, measure, sort of, to, to get enough power, or yeah. it can use heat from the sun, or it can use, but even vibrations 
So if you put it on someone's chair when you sit down, it can enough energy to go, oh, send a message that someone sat on this chair. Um, so I, I think there's loads of really cool technology, which is, is answering, um, well, solving problems for businesses. And I think that's why IoT is, is growing so much and why we're seeing so much of it. That is awesome. I, I just want to say something that just popped into my head. You guys have made some really interesting points and you've said things and you've mentioned terminology that's outside of the Wi-Fi world. So they don't teach you how to, let me rephrase that. They don't teach you about databases in the CWNP standard Wi-Fi curriculum. Okay. They don't teach you about energy harvesting, but a lot of the stuff we talked about is covered in the CW. ISC program to the CWIC, the, uh, the CWIIP, Landon, you mentioned that. That talks all about this other stuff that you may come across as an OT engineer that you need to be aware of in the IoT world. And so I just wanted to say to anybody out there, it's like, I never heard that term before. Good news is it's covered in the program. Okay. And like you mentioned, energy harvesting. Um, there's the, oh, anybody remember the constrained and the unconstrained systems? from CW, ICP, and IIP. Yeah, I had to read that twice because it's a concept that I've never come across before, but it's very interesting. You have to understand the concept when you apply it to IoT because changing one thing can have a huge effect on something else. And I, I, won't, I won't do a spoiler. I'll let you uh, read that and study that when you come to it. That's awesome, gentlemen. That, that's really good. So I think we'd all agreed that it's all happening all over the world. So let's go back now then and talk about the first four CWISEs. Anybody want to volunteer about the journey? How, how was the journey? Uh, how did you find it? Anything you want to talk about getting your CWISE? I think CWISE number one, Landon should, should take that one. <laughs> number one. Ah, every time, every time, Peter. Every time. <laughs> he has been merciless on that one. Uh, but it's a big deal, Landon, right? It's, it is. Uh, getting number one is, is like a huge deal and, and well-deserved. So. Oh, I certainly didn't do it alone. Um, I, I owe everyone a huge thanks. You know, Peter was a, a big part of that as well. Uh, and Troy, I know I asked Troy uh, probably more questions than he was comfortable with. So thank <laughs> you as well. Um, it's, it was an entirely different journey than my CWNE. Uh, part of it is because we were the first. Yeah, um, And part of it was because the material was almost more foreign to me than the Wi-Fi side was. Um, at least I had, you know, a passing layman understanding getting into Wi-Fi. Of course, it spiraled way out of control, which is how we ended up here. But uh, IoT, like, they, like you guys said, it's almost invisible sometimes. So it was this threshold concept of its own and they just kept coming and kept coming. It's so broad, I think, is the main difference I would point out. Yeah. Uh, with Wi-Fi, at, at some level, you could go, if you hated yourself enough, and just read the IEEE standards and get a halfway decent understanding. Don't do that because it hurts. It hurts yeah. reading for Wi-Fi. Oh, it's uh, good fun, really. The, the good news is for um, 802.15.4 particularly is actually well written as far as the standard goes. 
uh, as far as readability, right? I don't write them, so I can't say uh, how well written they are from that standpoint, but much easier to read, but it's so broad, right? Um, the hard part for me for CWICP, even having a hand in the book, was there were so many technologies that were covered. Um, and IIP was even worse because I'm not a dev guy. You know, I, I haven't messed with databases either. Uh, so there was so much sitting between me and what I felt was competence. Um, but to CWMP's credit, I think the process we went through for the ISE specifically, they made it as wide in reception as they could. So I know in a, another interview we did, Peter mentioned this, in that the questions were wide open for us. So they'd say, here's a set of constraints or requirements, which yeah. are not the same thing. And people will argue days about that. <laughs> yes, they will. Uh, it was like, they give us those requirements or constraints and he'd say, okay, so build me a system from the user down to the device. Tell me what you would do. And of course, you know, if you need a short range protocol, you can pick just about anything from classic Bluetooth, you know, Y heart, or even, you know, some PAN standards, some true PAN standards rather. Um, there's so much open space there. So you're gonna feel, I think, overwhelmed when you first get into it if you're not used to IoT, but don't be intimidated by that. It gives you just as much freedom uh, as it gives you choice paralysis. And I think you'll be way better off for it uh, because thinking about different architectures, changing the way you think about that will make you a better engineer overall, even if you don't go for the ISE, um, because we tend to get a little bit of tunnel vision with Wi-Fi because FIs are different, yeah, vendors are different, but it's the same concept. And IoT, that's not true. Everything from subscription to you buy it and you're done, you know, just wildly different in every way. And I think that's a really good point, right? It's like, if you want to know wireless, you have to learn one protocol. Sure, we have the alphabet soup that change it, but in the IoT space, there are so many different protocols, but there are commonalities. I'm working on uh, editor. 15.6 and I was like okay customer wants me to do something with it so I start researching it it uses the same super frame format as the other IoT protocols so having learned them I'm like oh I, I get this okay sure you've got to learn the separate little tweaks but the 802.15.4 protocol is it's so amazing in that it's it's the granddaddy of lots of other protocols uh, that have evolved and changed so there is commonality, but there is also differences. And I think that's probably the hardest thing I found coming into this because you can be a, a Bluetooth expert and not master Zigbee. Good grief, you can be a Bluetooth expert and not really understand BLE, right? <laughs> Which is in the same protocol because they are actually distinct and different. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, just to finish up on this session then, we will have like an open chat at the end if anybody wants to make any comments and things. But I wanted to mention a subject that's I'm sure close to all our hearts, and that's veterans. Veterans go and serve and learn a lot about a lot of technologies when they do their service. Uh, RF technologies in the Navy, in the Air Force, whatever. Uh, I wanted to talk to maybe Landon and Tor in particular. Do you think that the skills that veterans learn uh, applicable into the IoT and the networking world. Uh, Tor, can get your opinion on that, please? 
Yeah, we think so. Um, military people in general are used to, uh, at least in the technical branches, are used to various types of uh, systems that they need to make uh, interact, uh, work together. So yes, certainly, I, I do believe that. Um, and there's a, at least in the part where I'm living, there's also some programs that uh, makes a uh, veteran uh, ready for civilian life. Uh, so, so I think that will be a, a pretty good uh, starting point to be a veteran. Because awesome. we, we mentioned this in the pre-discussion, it, it wasn't recorded, uh, that there are programs all over the world in our respective countries that are enablement programs for veterans with a skill set. Uh, London, I think you mentioned that a lot of them are security based. But there are other, other areas that are covered on and enable people as well. Uh, and I think that's something that's, um, that, that's, that's good, that we should really talk about more. If we get some more details, we'll include them uh, somewhere in this uh, webinar. Uh, Landon, what do you think about serving and taking those skills and applying them to network engineers, IoT engineers, and so on and so forth? Yeah, I would encourage veterans, um, especially in the U.S., transitioning is hard, you know, um, and I was lucky to have a very supportive family and uh, a lot of vets. Texas is, is very veteran heavy, uh, so I'm lucky in that I had a lot of support there. Uh, but I, I think the community is quite welcoming, which is going to help, uh, and there's quite a few veterans in it. Uh, a shocking amount in the U.S. side. I can't speak for other countries. They're not quite as, I don't think it's a identity as much, uh, but that's part of our natural, our national quirks, I think. Uh, but I, I would highly suggest it. I would suggest the whole field uh, to veterans. And one thing I'd point out is even if you don't have a technical MOS, uh, which for those of you who are civilians or uh, from other countries, that's, it's your job, right? Military occupational specialty. Uh, even if you don't have a technical MOS, I would encourage you to at least give it a look. Um, I didn't, you know, I had a, an infantry type job, uh, but a lot of the mindset that you learn will serve you well here, um, especially uh, for NCOs, non-commissioned officers and officers. You're probably already used to having to find your own solutions uh, with constraints uh, or having to be a little bit out of the box in how you approach them. Uh, so that, that will serve you ex exceedingly well here. Uh, and then the framework of how things work in a logical flow that theoretically you should have learned um, will help you. I, I say theoretically because the US military is famously uh, haphazard in terms of organization. Uh, the Brits actually had a uh, rather pithy quote about that saying that it's impossible to counter U.S. strategy because they don't even know their own war doctrine. <laughs> and if they do, they sure don't follow it. So there's that. Um, but yeah, uh, being welcoming, I think, is a large part of it. Um, most vets that I've met have a very uh, self-reliant attitude, and that will serve you well here. You can get very far in this field on your own work. Um, and forming a web of people you trust that will help you. Uh, so lean on that for sure. Uh, and there's a lot of vets orgs that'll help you out. Uh, a lot of veteran charities will do that too. Uh, Phil kind of alluded to 
one of my favorite programs, which is FedVTE or Federal Virtual Training Environment. Uh, and it is security focused. It was an initiative, um, I believe by the NSA uh, originally. Uh, I had to fact check that. So I'm sorry if it was a different organization, but it is any veteran or current or previous federal contractor or employee in any role has access to that. Um, all you do is put in your service number or uh, link to where you work and they'll take care of getting you registered. Pretty easy. I think the longest I've seen for a waiting period is about three days. So highly encourage you to check that out. It's security focused, but they even have stuff down to like Net Plus, a Network Plus from CompTIA. Uh, and then they're slowly starting to add more things uh, in IoT. And as you look into the IoT security piece, which they'll have to post, they're required to have foundational courses too. Uh, so I would be on the lookout for those. And of course, if you don't understand how networks work in general, you really should do that before you deep dive into the rest of IoT. Um, otherwise, it gets going to get really confusing. You know, it, it's hard enough without knowing uh, IPv4 and IPv6 already, right? Looking at you, six low pan. <laughs> um, but highly encourage that. Um, for those of you who are leaving active service, if you're watching this, uh, definitely reach out to your transition counselors. Uh, and every service has a different acronym for it, so I'll leave it out. Um, they'll be able to help you out, and there's paid resources as well. So one thing I want to mention is a lot of the stuff you've talked about is provided by the government free of charge, like a lot of the services. And it's like, just make an inquiry, and they are very, very helpful. And yep. one thing I found about the U.S. government, they, uh, they really do take care of their troops. Um, and there are loads of programs and websites. Once you get into it, it's linked to link. There are in, uh, fairs. I don't know. Do I call it industry fairs? Like a fair you can go to. It's a it's a conference or a, a meeting that you can go to, uh, and you, it, it 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 talks about services that are available. Um, we'll see if we can find some links and put them in and put them in so, to give people some pointers. But yeah, right. USA uh, Jobs and Clearance Jobs. Both yes. Com. Yeah, um, both of those have federal jobs posted, and yeah. you will get preference for U.S. veterans. Yes, awesome. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that's brilliant, guys. That's awesome. Um, okay, we're coming to the end of our time. Does um, anybody have anything else they want to talk about? Or let's go, let's do a round table last minute. See, I, I'm lucky. I get to ask the questions. I don't get any awkward questions. So I like being organized. It's a get a gel free card. Right? So, uh, Troy, start with you, please. Any last comments? Uh, just one one last comment that uh, Landon's uh, last uh, couple of thoughts there about IP reminded me of. I, I used to work with, um, do work with an IoT uh, vendor, and they positioned their product as, uh, you know, with the warning that IP was the most hacked protocol on the planet. And the reason their IoT solution was better than other solutions, because it didn't use IOP or IP at the connectivity layer. And so they thought that was a huge uh, security win. So I'll let you guys think about that. But I also wanted to thank uh, Lang Langdon, or Land sorry, Landon and Peter for uh, joining us on, on the call today. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Uh, Peter, any last minute thoughts? I think you may be muted, Pete. Look at that schoolboy error. I've never <laughs> been very good with technology. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I've got a, a lot really more to say, really. Um, I would just really encourage people, if they're listening and if not, 
even thought about looking into IoT technology to, to do that. Um, it, it is going to be big. Um, if you're a listener of the show and you're, you're, you're a Wi-Fi guy, then I, I think there's an awful lot of transferable skills. So, um, again, you know, there's, there's loads of opportunity out there for you to look into. Um, you know, it's an RF technology. You already understand RF if you're a Wi-Fi engineer. Some of the protocols are similar. There's beacon frames. There's, you know, there's lots of similar concepts. There's some new concepts there. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I would say the IT industry, because it is so vast, it isn't as mature um, as, as the Wi-Fi industry. So there's a lot of um, skills you've got from being in a mature industry, like knowing how to design, knowing how to use design tools that you can transfer over. Um, so uh, I, I would strongly encourage people who have not delved, put their feet into the soft IoT waters to, to give it a go. Um, why not over, you know, the, the Christmas period, uh, do a bit of reading up. Um, apart from that, I just wish everyone a happy Christmas and a great new year. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I was actually thinking of mentioning that um, earlier, but it slipped my mind. So thank you for bringing it back. How um, how much do you think, as a someone who's followed the original CWNP track, would you say 40, 50% is, is useful in the, the new IoT track? Anybody got a number they'd like to volunteer? I think it depends on the certificate, on which which IoT certification you go to. So I think if you look at design, I, I think there's quite a big amount transferable because there's you, you've still got to gather requirements. Um, you've still got to produce a design. You've still got to validate that design. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, things that would link over. If you start talking about the integration um, professional uh, exam, there's going to be a lot less. Um, Although if you've been involved in Wi-Fi integration, um, but that, not necessarily in the CWP track, but, but there may be transferable skills there. So uh, it's hard to put a number on it, but, but, but it is definitely a lot of transferable knowledge. If you look at the CWISA, the first certification, then there's a lot of RF transferable knowledge in that, possibly 50, 60%. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, so, so I think it does depend um on which certification you look at but I, I like that so so you'll be pleasantly surprised how much of what you already know is still applicable and yeah. I, I, I think that's a great summary that you can't say overall it's going to be 43.97 percent it varies uh one thing that i was very pleasantly surprised because recently i got into python programming and on the cwiip yeah we talk about python programming which I thought was, oh, wow, I, I've done this already. And that was a really pleasant surprise. Um, so yes, awesome. Thank you, sir. And uh, Tor, any last yeah, I would actually really say that it's an honor to be uh, with the, the first four CWICs. I think that's good. Um, I'm not sure if I'm getting there the next year or so. Um, busy life, but you guys are also busy, so might have a, a try on that uh, and to what you said Landon with the veterans uh, you you're quite right NCOs officers uh, are used to dealing with uh, all sorts of problems that are not there's not a, a cookbook for that uh, you use duct tape wire whatever you can do 
uh, and then the, the nice new world, kind of new world with IoT, there's a lot of new stuff you have to make work together, uh, happen together. So I think you're quite right there. My last couple of years uh, in, in, in the military, I was actually training. Uh, and that was actually uh, all sorts of uh, people, branches, whatever, uh, to be IT pros or IT people, network guys. And um, you're quite right, but the NGOs uh, officers had uh, it easier uh, because they were, were used to adapt, but the, 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 the soldiers in general are used to adapt to uh, uncommon scenarios. So you're quite right there. So again, I will also urge all veterans, go for it. Um, pretty sure you can do it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, sir. And Landon, number one. We can let you have the final word. Brutal. Um, one thing I, I did want to add, and I, I say this on a lot of the a lot of my podcasts, is if you're using a reference, um, whether that be one of the CWNP books, one of the, uh, Dave Coleman slash Wet Scott's books, and you have a question, you can contact them. Most of us are really, really, really open. Um, I, as much as I hate to encourage Twitter use in the general sense, um, a whole bunch of us are on Twitter and it's a great place to get involved with the community at large and have easy access to, you know, like the rest of these guys, you know, actually good engineers. Um, I would highly encourage that. Uh, and I don't think any of these guys are just going to shoot you down if you reach out to them randomly one day and say, hey, can you help me out? I'm, you know, I'm not understanding this. Um, my personal rule is you get to ask me the same question twice, but not a third time. <laughs> then it's invoiceable, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then it's, then it's consulting work. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but seriously, I, I don't mind answering anything. And if I can't answer it, I'll help you find a person or a resource that will. Um, we're all very dedicated to making sure the community grows and nurturing talent anywhere we can find it. I unfortunately was born talentless. Um, but through the unceasing work mm -hmm. of everyone else here, I've become mediocre. So, uh, but really, you can find find people that will help you. Um, even if you're a senior engineer, you know, learning new stuff. Do that. And I would also encourage you newer guys to try to get involved as much as you can. Um, you know, how I got involved with CWMP was just reaching out to Tom and uh, Peter God, I probably annoyed the pants off of Peter in my first two years. Um, there's some things I'd look back and cringe that I said, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, and it happens to the best of us. But it's the journey, right? It's not necessarily the destination, it's the journey. Right? 100%. Get out there, get involved, make yourself uncomfortable. You'll be a much better engineer. Um, and maybe you'll fit into this IoT niche. Maybe you'll fall in love with it. I actually like what you said then when you said that you're talentless because I know that you're not, but maybe you were once. We all were once, right? And uh, yesterday I was reading an article about one of the cage fighters who, he's, I forget his name, apologies, but he's a very successful cage fighter. Um, and, and they said to him, you know, you're very talented. He said, no, I'm completely talentless. What I am, he said, is relentless. Yeah, I haven't got talent. What I've got is this ability to keep on which he said was more important. And I always say this to my classes, one of the great things is we've all been working with wife 
advice since like maybe after 20 years, Attitude LMB, but Attitude LMB AX is like six months old. So you come in, you come into the industry in January of this year, you and Peter McKenzie and Troy and Tor and Landon and Phil have been working with AX for about six months. Wi-Fi is the great equalizer because the one constant thing we have in Wi-Fi is change, right? It's always changing. It's always getting better. We're always getting new protocols. And I think that's enough for one day, gentlemen. What do you think? Uh, that was George St. Pierre, I think, by the way. Sorry? George St. Pierre, I believe. I think it may have been. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so on that, happy holidays to everybody. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for coming to see us today. And maybe we'll try and do this again next year. Absolutely. It's Thanks for having us. Thank you. Take care, everybody, and uh, stay safe, and we'll see you in the new year. Have a great one. Mm -hmm.